Welcome to this episode of Heartland Podcast. The conversation you're about to hear took place in front of a live audience during this summer's Heartland. The participants are artist David Shrigley and film director Ruben Östlund, and they met on stage for a conversation with the headline, What is the meaning of artistic censorship? David Strickley is the artist behind the giant piece, Swamp Thing, that graced the moat of Eskog Castle during this year's Heartland. He works within several media, including drawing, painting, sculpture, animation, performance and music. He has been exhibited all over the world. Ruben Östlund is a Swedish film director and screenwriter. His critically acclaimed films, Force Majeure and The Square, have both won awards at the Cannes Film Festival. The conversation is moderated by TV host and author Barbara Lesø Stephensen. Due to technical issues, the first five minutes are sadly missing from the talk. We apologize and hope that you will still enjoy this conversation from Heartland 2019. Because it's quite fun to think about. Photo A, can we see that, please? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us what that is? What, what uh, is I it mean, that it's, uh, I, I, I don't know if the first one is fake or not, but it's just something that I found on, on YouTube. Uh, and, uh, but it, it's just like fun what, what it creates kind of fantasies. And, and uh, yeah, so what, it's what, actually, what are we protecting ourselves from? And uh, things it, like that. It, I think the subtitle said, or claimed at least, from this YouTube clip that it was... Uh, Uh, broadcastings from Arabic-speaking countries. Yeah, but I'm not 100% sure it's... it's nah. uh, so we should be a little bit skeptical when we look at it, but but we can use our imagination uh, mm. uh, about what uh, which way. But if you look at, for an example, uh, two IKEA catalogs in in Muslim countries, then the women are like taken away uh, with Photoshop, and you can see the differences between the Swedish catalog and the and uh, the catalog from some Arabic countries. And so, yeah. And when you then show us this picture too, that's not necessarily from an Arabic. Uh, Arabic. This, this one. Be, this could be from Facebook as this well. This is just it? someone uh, having fun, you know, like uh, <laughs> putting. What, what does your fantasy create when when you are thinking about it? Uh, that's the London Olympics, is it not? Tell me again. It's the London Olympics. It is, isn't ah, it? Okay. Yeah. And how come they're naked? Do we know? I guess they had naked volleyball at the London Olympics. <laughs> That's just Britain for you, isn't it? <laughs> I must have missed it when it was on. <laughs> But uh, we were talking about it before that it's 50 years since maybe you, uh, yeah, 50 years since uh, pornography, image pornography was allowed in Denmark, and Denmark was the first, yeah, uh, first country in the world where you were allowed to uh, reproduce pornography with with, with images. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today is the celebration, 50-year celebration of that. And maybe it's a, yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's a, an obvious place to start as well, because the body has always, I suppose, been this battleground of uh, artistic censorship uh, ever since the Romans and the, or at least the Christians went and you know battered off the genitals of the Roman and Greek sculptures. Uh, discussions on how much and how little should be shown and who you would offend by it uh, has definitely been uh, something that's been discussed. You've played with this too, haven't you, uh, during your uh, Turner exhibition? And oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had a. I mean, most of the figures that I draw are, are naked. I don't really know why; they just are. 
Um, and I, I made a, a piece for the, which was shown at the Turner Prize exhibition, which is a big art prize in the UK, that I was nominated for a few years ago. And um, my exhibit was a, a life model. It was a giant man who wasn't, was badly proportioned. And um, he was naked, of course, and he peed in a bucket. It was like a robot, so he blinked and he peed in a bucket, and everybody was invited to draw him. And uh, all the drawings were put on the wall, so it's like a life class. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the peeing in the bucket proved to be a really problematic thing for the, um, but only for the Catholic schools. Ah. So the Protestant, it was shown in Derry in Northern Ireland. So strangely, all the Protestant schools got to go and draw the man, and all the Catholic schools weren't allowed. Mm -hmm. And and so it's it's kind of interesting. That's one of the places where you hit a boundary, obviously. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I felt disappointed. It wasn't, uh, you know, the penis was not particularly threatening. <laughs> say. I can. I, I'll encourage everyone to go and see a little video where, at YouTube too, where the figure is shown as well, and the people drawing it and all their difficulties in getting a body that's out of proportion. Yeah. down on paper, because we're so used to seeing perfect bodies. But the question is, I suppose, for me, that when we can all laugh of the absurdity of this clip, whether it's true or not, it definitely says something about that we feel maybe we are beyond the point where we would ever accept such a thing. We think it's ridiculous, we think it's absurd, but are we really beyond that point ourselves? Even though we live in countries with freedom of speech, but I, I must say I was in in China and I was at Beijing Film Festival and I was talking to a lot of film directors that uh, are working there, and they they were talking about that um, there are no clear rules of what they are censoring when it comes to Chinese uh, censorship. So what is happening is that they are self-censoring. Mm. Everybody is like, okay, you don't know what will go through, you don't know what will be accepted. So, so it, that's a very efficient way if you want people to self-censor. Mm. Uh, and when I came back to Sweden and I felt like with this identity politics, uh, the thing about race and sex and things like that, I felt we are dealing with exactly the same thing. There's a strong self-censorship that you are not, um, you, you are constantly aware of that what you're saying can be put in another context and suddenly it becomes something else. So, for example, I, I, I was making a joke uh, with a journalist that they asked me like repeatedly, how do you win an Oscar? And I said, at one point I said, you make a film about the Second World War or the Holocaust. <laughs> And uh, uh, from, three, <laughs> from, from three years of best foreign language film, it was uh, the three years I have been there, uh, it was like this. It was 66% was that. And I made this joke. In US, it was no problem. But when I came to Sweden, it was immediately uh, put in another context. And they put it next to like anti-Semitism in Hollywood, uh, like by other actors. So it was brought from one context into another context. And, it, and a big problem for me happened when they called the university that I was working at. I was a professor at the university. And they said, what have you to say about Ruben's anti-Semitic uh, uh, quotes? And suddenly I had said something anti-Semitic. And then the university says, of course we don't support anti-Semitism anti and this kind of behavior. So suddenly I had something, I said something anti-Semitic. And it went so far that actually I, my, 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 
my, I have two daughters, twin daughters, and they are Jewish, and they were like saying, should we say something, daddy? You know, uh, so it, it was co completely absurd how, how, how something became like a snowball, and what I had said from the beginning was, was pff, no one was dealing with, with that quote anymore. So that, that, was, uh, that was a scary thing, and I think the arena of being in, in public today is scarier because you are afraid of someone taking your quote and put it into another context and suddenly you have a problem. Mm. Um, mm. I was, I was going to ask you too because we live in times, now we talked about whether the censorship we used to came from the power, right? And the artist's job was so to speak to try to push that boundary and see if you could maybe push the power, people in power. But with the Me Too movement, for instance, it seems to me that the game has somewhat been reversed, that now artists suddenly have to take into consideration the power that they themselves possess. Do you... What's your, what's your thought on that? Um, well, I think... I guess social media has kind of changed, changed everything, really, in that uh, there is no censorship as such, but you are invited to be afraid of censure, you know, as in... Other people taking, getting angry, having an angry reaction to what you do, and in a way, you've, you've very little control over that. Especially when you, you know, you're being interviewed by some journalist and you just jibber jabber at them, and then, you know, <laughs> all of a, a week, you're a week later, you're on the front page of the local yeah. newspaper, which happened to me recently. Um, so I think I remember uh, watching a documentary about David Cronenberg. You know the horror movie director, or just director, I guess. But he said that um, the artist doesn't have any responsibility at the time they're making the art. It doesn't have any social responsibility. But the time you have social responsibility is when you show it to somebody else, which makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, the rules, in, so, you know, in terms of talking to journalists and posting things online, suddenly people just... You know, you have no control over the censure. Uh, so you only have your own self-censorship. But you, my way of dealing with it is, uh, obviously I don't teach at a university, so I can't be fired, which is good. <laughs> but, uh, um, <clears throat> is that I just don't, <laughs> I just don't look at the comments. It's transmit only on So you social. censor the critique I, and the comments that come back? I censor the response to the work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just say whatever I like. But seriously, I, I, you know, there's some things that you make. I, I have, I guess what I do as an artist is that I say stuff, image and text together usually, and then I try and figure out what it means afterwards. And Maybe that would be a good time to just show a small clip so with sure. uh, people who are maybe familiar with the swarm that you made out in the park, but could also see what we talk about when we talk about the drawings. Could we see clip number four? I think you brought a piece of body art here yourself. Um. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's um, that's that's it, that was actually a, a piece of work that I suppose was censored. It was a, a piece I made quite a number of years ago when Gmail was um, was introduced. This is Google Mail, 
and um, they invited uh, invited some artists or invited me to make uh, a proposal to make a series of viral films that were called Transitional Moments. And I made a bunch of these films that the transitional moment being that you presumably in 2004 or whenever it was changed from Hotmail to Gmail as everybody eventually did, you know. And the way that you would facilitate this is by sending this viral email. Ah. And um, yeah, so they didn't use any of my films. They didn't. Well, but oddly, they paid for them all to be made. And we made them all, and they've never, nobody's ever seen them. Um, <laughs> so that's why you brought it today. No, yeah, but I, 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 kept, I couldn't help thinking when I saw it that it's interesting because tattoos are actually still something which is controlled, in a sense, by the government. In Denmark, at least, I think you can't get a tattoo until you're 18 without permission. And lots of young people nevertheless choose to sort of artistically decorate their own bodies, and yet we have this law that says you can't. Is that a, a repression of uh, uh, freedom of speech, or is that somehow I think maybe a good protection? I mean, is there something s about safety and censorship that we maybe ignore, too? Is, I mean, is it, am I right in... I seem to remember, because I come to Denmark quite a lot, that there's a list of names. If, when you have a child... There's a list of names, and you can only select. There was actually that has been uh, that, that has been given free just a bit, but there was until recently. Yeah. You can call your child La Fonda if you want. Now you can. You can now you, before you right. probably couldn't even call them strictly. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it always seems strange to me that you can have a tattoo of a spider's web on your neck, but you can't call your child Elephant, um, Bobby, or anything. <laughs> But, but do you see what I mean? I mean, would we like to have just that grown-ups can go and tattoo spiders on their children? Or uh, is there a sort of safety I mean, combined I, I, with, I, uh, or security combined with... I think, it's, uh, I think in the Scandinavian countries we have a great trust in the state, so I think we agree on that there are some rules and laws that uh, we apply to. So I'm, I'm positive to... Have this, uh, yeah, have this law. Because <laughs> uh, there is a bit of protection in it somehow. Uh. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, yeah. For me, when it comes to this kind of discussion, it gets more, it gets most interesting to compare different countries because suddenly I get to see how it works in, in, in Sweden or how yeah. it works in the Scandinavian countries. So, uh, yeah. So maybe we should see the clip with the German artists or yeah, that is really Jonathan Mee. So maybe you will introduce yeah, the clip. I can introduce it. I, it's uh, a German artist uh, that is together with his mother. And in this clip, look quite much on his mother because it's so nice. What he, He's talking about these controversial things and doing these controversial uh, uh, body movements. Uh, but look at, at his mother, how she's dealing with him. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it's a clip from uh, Luciana Channel, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's an interview for Luciana Museum. Yeah. Um, let's see. It's clip number... Hang on. Number five, please. Yeah, this is no problem. <laughs> I, like it like, I also like it like this. It, it, it opens the body, that's all. That's why mommy is not so wrong. 
Because in the beginning, I didn't do the salute when I was in art school. But I, of course, didn't know what to do with my hands. And that's why I had masks and dolls and things. But then it developed more strength in the body. Yeah, Open it. Make it stronger. And then you, of course, what do you do? You do so many things Yeah, just to open it. And then suddenly, of course, maybe one day I tried provocation. Yeah, one day, but I did this in China, in Japan, in Russia. Uh, uh, I did it even in Israel. In in uh, I did it uh, hundreds of times in Germany, in France, in Belgium, in England, in America. In America, I did it two hours. Now nobody complained. They all knew and totally noticed. This is art. What else could it be? It's so out of order. And it's so ordering, order, also it's ordnet, yeah, Kunst ordnet, yeah. And I did it because not, because also of fun, of, uh, because it, it is a good feeling to do it in art. Totally, no problem, because I do it without ideology. People say, hey, you use these symbols also, Hakenkreuz or, or Eisernes Kreuz, these are ideological symbols. Are these people crazy? In an, in a, in a, in a, in a cup, there is no ideology. They are, they are brainwashed, these people. They are so silly, they have to go to therapy. Yeah? In a symbol, in an object, there is no ideology. It's your projection, it's in your brain. It's in, in a, in a Eiserne Kreuz or Hakenkreuz. There is nothing bad. And if somebody thinks that there, there is something bad in this, go into the past. Don't bother me and the future with your existence. Because in symbols, in objects, in animals is no ideology. But I, I, I think it's very interesting what he's saying. And I also think that I was looking at my daughters that goes to school in the central of Gothenburg. And they... Uh, uh, the kids are coming from many different backgrounds, mixed skin colors and everything like that. And there's, there's a feeling of suddenly we are, we are teaching them there's something called racism, you know. And, uh, and all of a sudden they should think about their friends in school in a different way. So uh, when it comes to like our, our ways of trying to protect us from things that is bad, uh, sometimes we give oxygen to uh, a discussion that is just maintaining these things. And uh, uh, I think that's also what he's trying to, 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 to deal with a little bit. Who is, who is making us racist? Is, is, we are, is our good thoughts sometimes actually just contraproductive and, and, and keeping, us, uh, keeping these structures? And uh, yeah. He's talking about a soldier of art. How, how do you relate to what you just saw, David? <laughs> I think you should have got him to come and talk. It would have been hilarious. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I know Jonathan Mises' work, and I've met him a couple of times. He's a bit mad, let's face it. Um, but yeah, I kind of take the point. I don't know, you know, I don't really know about... I think it's interesting too, because if you look at his mother, he might have a really valid point. I mean, I think most agree that art should be free, and, and what happened was actually that he was persecuted uh, for, for making this Nazi salute, and uh, in the end, he was actually um, not... He didn't have a verdict, because they said he has his freedom of speech as an artist. Uh, art should be free, so he can't be 
put under the same rules as everyone else. That's me. My interpretation, perhaps. Yeah. We, we don't know what his mother thought about it. No, because it's kind of obvious that she sets out with a different <laughs> history and a different mindset and a different sensation and empathy, maybe. I'm not sure. I, I think, actually, he is brought up by her. and Maybe she's, he's, she's agreeing on a lot of things, what he's saying, but he's taking it in a, in a different expression. So, uh, but I, I think it's interesting when we talk about like what is really censoring our expression. And I, I think you, David, you talked before about like commercials and advertisement and so on. And suddenly then, then there's some things that are not allowed. In my next film, uh, there's a couple of men that uh, are killing a donkey. Uh, and we are trying to get money from US. And uh, uh, the film also includes a Marxist captain that makes billionaires throw up because you always have the captain's dinner when it's a storm on the ship. And they are throwing up and shitting, and he's reading from the Communistic Manifest, you know, uh, to these billionaires out in the speaker system. So it's really about communism, it's about Marxism, things like that. But the only thing the Americans said when they read the script, ah, great, great, but you can't kill a donkey. <laughs> And, and then, okay, can we kill uh, a caiman, you know, one of these small crocodiles? Uh, so, so when it comes to, to censorship or like the, the market economy, the, uh, yeah, when, when we are trying to, uh, yeah, in this capitalistic society, like uh, that we don't speak that much about how market economy is also censoring our expressions. Mm -hmm. and, and that I think that that narrows down our expression much more than the, the, the laws of Sweden, for example. Uh, Do you experience, uh, you've killed a few donkeys in your art, haven't you? No. No, no animals no, got hurt? No, no I, I got a dog a few years ago and all the violence towards animals ended really abruptly. Yeah. So, um, no, I totally, I'm with the Americans, you can't kill a donkey. Or a caiman, in fact, or anything. Uh, oddly, the Americans are very fond of killing each other, but not, you're not allowed yeah, to kill exactly. any animals. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It I, does I, seem, though, that there's a new, a new power in place somehow, that maybe it's not about what's in the law, but maybe in the public opinion that has a different say now of what you can and cannot do as an artist? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, censorship is, which is, I guess is what we're talking about, is something very specific. But the kind of censorship that perhaps we're talking about now is, is sort of arrived by some kind of aggregate of, of people's response to things. And it's not, um, I mean, I've become really aware of uh, political censorship recently in the UK because we, we have a, quite a left-wing opposition leader called Jeremy Corbyn who, um, whilst I have certain problems with him in, in regard of, you know, the B word, I... Um, the B word? We won't talk about that. <laughs> I've become really acutely aware of how um, how distorted the way that his political campaign is presented, and it seems really, really quite stark. Um, and, and that's nothing to do necessarily with social media. That's to do with the actual with the BBC, you know, where, where they'll present stories about him which are nothing to do with anything that he's done or said, you know. Huh? So, in, in what sense? Well, for example, in the last uh, in the last election campaign. His, uh, he was in a car and 
Uh, the car drove over, over a photographer's foot, and he was just in the back of the car. And that was like, you know, headline news for a day on the BBC. But it's like, what did it have to do with him? He was in the back of the car, he wasn't mm. driving the car. And it's, it's kind of slightly crazy where, I, I've, for the first time in my life, in a way, I've become really aware of political censorship or, you know, just the distortion of how the news is presented. And we kind of assume that the BBC, in the UK, we kind of ass there is an assumption that the BBC is a fount of truth. And it really isn't. It, it, you know, and it, it's, quite, it's actually quite shocking um, what's happening in British politics at the moment. But, yeah, I don't want to go too far off that tangent, otherwise we'll start talking about the inevitable. The inevitable yeah. E-word that we want mentioned. But actually, I was thinking this might be another, just another place of not not go no go place for artists these days and i'm sure that both of you must ex have experienced this as well that whilst uh, you can maybe do any provocation sexually or body wise talking about politics might be another off place off limits place for artists i mean jonathan mesa says if you look at this interview a bit further he says that politicians are the opposite activists are the opposite of artists because they have no right yeah. uh, to freedom of speech whereas artists have all the right in the world is it a no-go place I, no, I think artists these days i think jonathan mesa probably makes about as much sense as a lot of our politicians in in the uk <laughs> i would say that um, no. Mm. Is it a no-go place? Would you ever do something that... Uh, would you say out loud something about politics or make it very obvious? Yeah, I do quite standards? often. I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't feel that it's a problem for me, really. There's other things that uh, have been a problem. Uh, I, can, I can bring up one example that a friend had that, like, uh, has a political contact in some way. You know, when Notre Dame was burning, when Notre Dame in France, Dame when the roof yes. was burning of the church, then um, everybody was like posting on, on social media, oh, this is horrible and so on. And then I had a friend that was a little bit provoked by this. So he wrote, he, he, he put out a post when he wrote, finally. <laughs> so you had Notre Dame burning and then he wrote, finally. <laughs> and he has a huge account. So, and people got so mad. They got, he, uh, after three days, he was the most death-threatened person in Sweden. Uh, and uh, uh, actually, the, the police contacted him because there's a, there's a democracy group in Sweden uh, at the police that when they find something is a problem, he's a journalist, so that's why he's, um, uh, he's a public person and a journalist. So that's why they go in and try to protect him. And, uh, uh, and, but I thought it was interesting. You write finally on Notre Dame that is burning. It's completely clear it's a joke, but but people got so angry, so they started to death threatening him. And uh, then um, then it was one person that like wrote something, "I will kill you and your family." And what he did was that he he wrote back, "Okay, uh, just so you know, I have reported this to the police." Since you are very clear on what you want to do with me, I'm pretty sure you will be uh, prosecuted. Uh, have a nice Saturday. Uh, and then it takes five minutes and uh, this person writes back, what is going to happen to me? I'm only 13 years old. 
I understand that I need to be punished. You know, so also when it comes to these social, uh, social media things and these things that we can't say what we want to say, we, you know, the, the, the world that is going on in the internet is not the real world. The way that people are treating each other when we meet each other with, with respect and people are not exaggerated in their reactions. But, but on the internet, then yes. And, uh, and, and if we are mixing up that that is the practical, the, uh, we, we have to have that in mind, that these are two different layers of the same reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was interesting. Uh, uh, an obvious joke, and he was—he—he he, he needed the most police um, uh, safety in Sweden at that time. Um. And it is somehow also a world reversed again, because your sympathy shifts when you listen to that story, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, you think first it has to do with religion; it doesn't have to do with religion. Then it's a joke. Then your sympathy changes again. Then there's yeah. a thirteen-year-old. Then you shift again. So I think Katrine Wilman, the Danish theater. Director said something that you mentioned in the beginning as well that in societies with freedom of speech or in social media where there's so much free space to and uh, to dare to say whatever you want, somehow immediately and inadvertently this control moves inside your head and you start or have to start controlling your own thoughts instead. So censorship will move to the inner realm instead. Do you can you relate to that? Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that uh, I had an idea that I would like to um, to get 65,000 copies of George Orwell's 1984 and deliver them to every individual in the United Kingdom. Mm. You know, because I feel that you know, if you ever read that book, it is it, when when I first read it, it was in the early 1980s, I guess, um, when it was science fiction. And now it's you know, and it was seen as being an allegory of of communism, I guess. Yeah. And and now it's sort of, it has a much, it has an ever dark, seemingly an ever darker resonance, far more dark, far darker resonance than it did then. You know, it suddenly is really coming home to roost, where you're just sort of like you know, truth or lies and uh, war is peace and all these statements suddenly actually start to mean something. Um, And I, yeah, I find that really frightening. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not something you have to. I think it's something that everybody instinctively understands. But it's definitely worth rereading that book. I don't think you should have it printed, though. I don't think you'll reach the right audience. But maybe you can. Yeah, it could end well, up. But the thing is, if you <laughs> sent it digitally, it would end up being like that U2 album that they downloaded to every iTunes account, <laughs> and everybody would just hate it. You know? <laughs> So it I mean, needs to be the paper copy. You know. <laughs> or maybe you can draw it. Can we just see a clip that you brought, David? It's a small film that's called uh, "Who I Am and What I Want." Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I want their nuts. I want to take on mighty adversaries. Come on, there, you big bollock! And I want to talk to God. Hello, God. Who's underneath? People with no eyes and flesh like that of a worm. Oh God, what should I do? Dig them up and try to reason with them. I don't want to die like that. I want to die like this. I want to be the one in the chair, and I want to be the one who reads the prayer, and I want to be the one who pulls the switch, and I want to be in the audience, and I want to mop the floor when it's finished, and then when I'm gone, I want to come back as a ghost and dig up my own corpse. 
<laughs> so anyway, that's it. Here I am, in the woods, ostracized from polite society. I don't care. I'm happy here. I don't want to live with a herd of twats who are going to make me wear clothes and eat with a knife and fork. Here, amongst the trees, I answer to no one. This life here, this is who I am and what I want. So this this was a um, this was a film that I made for uh, Channel Four, which is a which is a, a terrestrial channel in the UK, and um, it was it was the first time that I'd ever actually been censored by well. Yeah, one of the only times that I can think of where my work was actually on broadcast TV. And um, we had a, a, a conversation with, about how that needed to be changed. And it, it kind of goes, it's seven and a half minutes long and it goes on in that vein. It's just really weird nonsense all the way through <laughs> uh, about just missives and the central character stating his desire to do just weird stuff. And um, the bit that we had to change was uh, where he meets God. And they said, you have to, that bit with, where he's on God's lap, you have to change that. And I was like, why? Why that? And they were like, well, because it looks like um, you're giving God a blowjob. And I was like, what? That's in your brain? And I was like, are you sure that that's, you know, what everybody's going to think? Because I really didn't intend that, and I really don't think. Like, no, just change that bit. So we had to edit it a little bit, so the movement of the little guy on the big guy's lap was slightly different. And it was sort of like, okay. I mean, it's a weird film, anyone. No, no one's going to notice, but... It's, it's, a, it's a weird film, but I think in this context, there's something really... Um, it, it spoke to me in the sense that I felt suddenly, here's the artist, and he has all these crazy ideas about what he wants to try, or at least to try to think out loud, and he wants to express, and he ends up in the woods where he uh, can't offend anyone with a knife, nice and yeah. pleasant knife where he can it's eat like without a, knife and fork, and just... Is it somehow the... The isolation of artists who, who uh, give up on having to express all these thoughts because he constantly move into these, bump into these uh, confrontations with people who feel it's offensive. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Jonathan Meese is a bit like that. I don't know. It's, um, I, can't, I, I made it a long time ago, I suppose. So you don't remember what... Uh, I, I really don't remember what I intended... Do you use like provocation as an element when you're working? Do you, do you think about it as an element that you're using? Well, from my work, I, I, I tend to, uh, because I make drawings and they're very immediate and I, they kind of get put out there. I mean, particularly, literally now, as actually, that they get put on Instagram or whatever. So you can make something and then put it straight out there. And the bad habit that I have is, um, that I've learned, is that I tend to say things and then try and figure out what I mean <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Which is fine if you haven't shown it to anybody, but if you've actually put it on Instagram, it can be a problem, you know. And uh, you're not. It doesn't control. sound like self-censorship, at least. No, it's not. It's the opposite. It's uh, just um, 
impulsiveness is what it is yes. and stupidity. But uh, <laughs> you're not. In, I, I guess the interesting thing is is how people project onto your own work, project onto my work, because it's very very graphic, very figurative. A lot of words there. People just project their own thoughts and feelings onto it. So my work. I've noticed that my work seems to be perceived as being far more political recently than it ever did. Um, obviously because of the current political climate in, in the UK and in the US and elsewhere. Um, because the climate is politicized and all of a sudden your art speaks into that. Yeah, suddenly you, you, you're invited to comment on everything all the time. It's in interesting time. because you call this film Who I Am, but I've got another photo of you that you didn't include, but I wanted to include. Uh, can we get the photo... Um, with David Strictly on Trafalgar Square. Let me just see what number it has. Sorry. Because you were invited to uh, uh, photo C, please. You were invited to exhibit on this fourth plinth at Trafalgar Square. Uh, it's quite a prestigious place to be. A lot of prestigious artists has exhibited there. It's an empty plinth on Trafalgar Square that I'm sure you all know the biggest square in London or one of them. And uh, a lot of uh, controversial artists as well has actually exhibited things there that people wanted to be torn down. Uh, I don't think yours was... None of them were ever torn down, actually, and none of them were ever taken down, however provocating they were. Uh, and it's actually quite an honor to have that... to have that plinth to exhibit on. But what I wanted to talk to you about is the column in the back that you can see here, because on top of that, the centerpiece here is Lord Nilsson. And that's a statue that a lot of Danes would like to have torn down, actually, because he actually killed like 2,000 Danes at Slaterreden <laughs> and yeah, was yeah, a real I, bastard. I, that, he wasn't that, even that, allowed by his own general, and he bombed the hell out of us. Yeah, that was only after 200 the Vikings, though, wasn't it? What about the Vikings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's too far back. <laughs> but I've noticed that we actually have some friends in London on the far left who agree with us that this is one of the statues that should be taken down. Yeah. I now it came to think of the square where they yeah. take down a statue. You know, we, uh, we, had, uh, we had an idea of moving a statue in Gothenburg, me and a friend of mine. And we went to the city architect and we tried to get this idea out in the public. We went to the papers and I have never met so many angry reactions. And the thing is, it was, it's, it's a very, very popular statue in Gothenburg called Koppamara. It's like what, what people call it. And they have no clue who the king is. It's called the Ninth, but everybody called it Koppamara, and they love Koppamara. Uh, but the king is called the Ninth, and he was like responsible of bringing back witch burning to Sweden, and he was uh, like uh, the bloodbath of Linköping. He was, he was like a war king. But no one have a clue what he have done, and no one know who's, who he is. But from the left wing to the right wing, everybody defends that we are going to keep this statue in the center of the city. And we said that we wanted to move it because 500 meters away, his uh, uh, son is standing, Gustav II Adolf. So we said we wanted to move Koppamara, called the Ninth, 700 meters to a square that is Gustav Adolf's Tory, so uh, to his son. And the project is called Daddy Come Home. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so when, when we have father and son next to each other, then we can ask ourselves, why is there no statue of the mother? And uh, um, 
Uh, and at the same time, we can actually educate people so they learn who, who these kings are and what they have done, you know? But it seems like so. we've actually, now that you have the free space to do whatever you like without being torn down, but we've turned our anger sort of on the past instead. And now we're trying to censor the past and the art of the past in what we feel is politically correct or not correct. Is that a movement that you see as well? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think that... Um Joking aside, you know, Lord Nelson versus the Vikings, you know, it's interesting that, you know, that there seems to be a time period where, you know, because the Vikings were so long ago, obviously, apparently, they did lots of raping and pillaging and was probably far worse than Lord Nelson, who perhaps did nasty things on a more industrial scale. But it's sort of interesting that there's, there's a, you know, there's a time period after which it's kind of okay to start joking and maybe, but you're still allowed to tear down statues that are about people who were slave owners and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's it's very it's very tricky. Obviously, that that piece is made of bronze and it's um, seven meters tall and weighs six tons. And it's it was made to uh, to mimic uh, all the other sculpture in there in the materials that it's made from this very dark patinaed bronze um, and. Yeah, I, I mean, I made the proposal not thinking that I would be offered the commission. So I, I made a really stupid statement about what it meant, you know, that it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy whereby if you said everything's good, it will become good kind of thing. And then I sort of had to stand by this statement once it had actually been commissioned, yeah, yeah. which was quite strange. But what, what, what's interesting about the piece um, subsequently, I was... It's, it was kind of a work in progress in a way, and still is, in that people, you know, are talking about people projecting their own ideas onto it. Um, a, an example of it was that a friend of mine sent me a photograph. She was on the, the Women's March that happened in London. Um, well, it happens off every year, I think, now. Uh, but it's an assertion of women's rights and a, a reminder um, that, the, that, that women's rights still need to be addressed. Um, anyway, all the march had congregated around this, you know, and they all sort of saw it as being... Uh, a thumbs up to them? Yeah, it was, you know, and suddenly this was, you know, a gesture towards gender, gender equality, which obviously I approved of. But then the opposite thing happened, where, I, you know, there was some really... Uh, Right-wing politics. Yeah, what are they called? I can't remember now. England, the English Defence League, or something like that. But really, they did the same. I argue. They congregated around it and were like, yeah, it's an endorsement. <laughs> for them too. It's an endorsement of everything. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's a good note to end on, I think, an endorsement of everything, because that's really sort of what you need, I, I presume, as, as artists. You could never work like David does by sending it out first and thinking later what it might mean that's not your way of uh, i wouldn't dare to do that no no uh, but uh, yeah uh, but it fits also like the the drawings that you're working with they have created certain kind of arena so so the, the how do you say the ceiling is much higher and uh sometimes when it comes to film yeah, you, I feel that I have to be very know how to defend my work because, uh, yeah, in order to, so I have re, I have been thinking about the content so so many times. But I, but I was thinking about something that was interesting with, uh, like like you, the, like how to say the context that you are working in, and and when you hear 
about stand-up comedians mm -hmm. that when they, they, they quite often have a joke that is like what you're not allowed to joke about. So when they start saying, okay, now we're going to talk about what you're not allowed to joke about, and then they can do a joke about whatever they like. Uh, so, so you have the possibility to create a context where you basically can say whatever you want. Um, um, so uh, it, it feels inspiring, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to... I, I, I don't feel it's possible for me to go there, really. No, but maybe you can pick up a few tricks from, uh, from David then, because it seems like you can make out that sort of finds its way into many political societies. And even if you don't do so, I want to show you a, a trick that uh, David has shown me, even though you don't know. Uh, if there's something you really want to say and you feel a little uncertain whether you can say or not, because I've been a fan of David's work for a long time. You can see I have my David Strictly notebook here and I have my David Strictly band, but I also am wearing David Strictly socks, actually. Wow. So if you have something that you uh, really want to say, but you're afraid what oh, yeah, yeah. might react, you can just write it underneath your sock. <laughs> it says... Nothing. nothing. It says nothing? <laughs> it's the other one. Ah. <laughs> it says... Oh, yeah. Eat my sock. Exactly. Yeah. It says, eat my sock. So that's a way of at least uh, being able to communicate and not, if you're not really sure what the... What uh, the audience, how the audience might take it, you can save it for a bit later. Thank you very much for coming, both of you. Yeah. You've been listening to a Heartland podcast. If you like what you heard, remember to give it a review on iTunes or tap your friend on the shoulder and tell her that you heard it here. Thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.